All right, everyone turn to Proverbs 31. It's the last chapter in the book of Proverbs. And it's famous for describing this all-star woman. But we're not going to be talking about her this morning. Uh, Before we read this passage, I'm going to share a parable with you. But we're going to be in Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. So get that ready. All right, once upon a time, in a town called Emmaus, there was a man named Fadi. One early morning, Fadi walked with his friend Yefet to a building project. Yefet asked Fadi, So, good friend, how long has it been since you and your family moved to Emmaus? Fadi responded, Well, we left Syria 10 years ago. I was only 25 back then. It seems like time has gone by quickly. Wonderful, said Yefet. And how have those 10 years been for you? They have been hard, but good, said Fadi in his still thick foreign accent. Many have been kind to me and my family. When we first came, Simeon, the farmer, was so generous to allow us to harvest part of his crops so that we could feed our family. And Jacob, the carpenter, shared some tools and taught me how to build. And of course, you, Yefet. You were my first friend here. You went out of your way to introduce me to your friends and welcome me into your home. Yet, Fadi went on, it sometimes can feel as if locals only see what is different about us. I sometimes see people laugh at my thick accent or encourage their kids to play with only other local kids. Yefet responded warmly, Fadi, I'm so glad Yahweh has brought you here. And I'm so glad you know Yahweh now. Though I've lived in Emmaus my whole life, my ancestors were strangers in a foreign land, and Yahweh cared for them. Some locals have forgotten what Yahweh has done. Yefet and Fadi had arrived at the house they were working on. Hello, said Fadi to Harun, his kind boss and well-respected elder. Good morning, men, said Harun. Let's get to work. The three men worked together that day, bringing a dilapidated wall to good order. Towards the end of a long day of work, Harun was speaking to the building owner, and Fadi was on some wood scaffolding, moving a big stone into place on a second-story wall. As he lifted the stone, he could feel his strength fading. The big stone slipped out of his hand, cracked through the scaffolding, landing on Yefet, who was just below. Fadi quickly came off the scaffolding and saw Yefet lying on the ground. Harun saw it all and ran over as well. Fadi wailed, help, help, Yefet, the stone, it fell. Through tears, Fadi pleaded for Yefet to keep his eyes open. By the next day, it was clear, Yefet would not survive. And in a matter of few days, Yefet was buried. Fadi and Yefet's families were devastated. Now, Yefet's brother, Raz, was inconsolable in his grief. He wanted revenge and was out to get Fadi. Other locals in Emmaus were skeptical about Fadi too. After all, he was from Syria. People began to whisper, do you think Fadi did this on purpose? He has always been a bit odd and different. These whispers fueled Roz's rage. 
Roz went straight to the city leaders demanding his revenge. Fadi is a foreigner, he said. He's never liked us, and now look at what he's done to my brother. He must be punished immediately. Many among the leaders instinctively agreed with Roz. But just then, as the commotion was getting heated and Fadi's life was sure to be short, Harun spoke. I was there when the stone fell from Fadi's hand. Raz, Fadi did not intend to kill your brother. It was a mistake. I've known Fadi since he's moved here. He's been a faithful worker and a friend as well. This was not murder. It was an accidental death. Fadi's life must be protected. Though he is a stranger to our land, he is one of us. He must be treated fairly. Harun's words brought perspective at a critical time. Raz relented his pursuit and admitted his grief. Many in Emmaus came around to comfort both Raz and Fadi. But it was Harun's wise words, spoken at the right moment, that preserved Fadi's life and spared Raz a tragedy of unjust revenge. This is what Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, this morning we do need your help to hear from your word. There are many voices that can travel through our minds throughout the week saying this and that, and this morning we want to hear your voice from your word, the perfect voice. So God, we pray that you'd give us humble hearts to hear from you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to work through this passage by asking three questions. What is it saying? Why did God put it here? And how do we respond? What is it saying? Why did God put it here? And how do we respond? So first, what is this passage saying? These verses in Proverbs are from a mother to her son who happens to be a king. Look at verse 1. This is Proverbs 31.1. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. And I'll skip down to verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. This passage is saying those with strength should care for the vulnerable. Those with strength should care for the vulnerable. King Lemuel's mom is telling him, use your strength, son. Use your influence, your voice, your power, your decision-making to defend the rights of the vulnerable. Now, a king certainly has lots of strength. He can make laws and dictate terms for his country. He can oversee what's happening. He might even be able to judge between what is right and wrong. His influence is certainly grand. But it's not just kings that have strength. Let's look at verse 8 and 9 to see what strength looks like in this passage. Verse 8, open your mouth. Verse 9, open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights. Strength is having the ability to open your mouth. When the strong talk, people listen. 
Those with strength use their voice to ensure the vulnerable are heard. Strength is having the ability to make decisions that are right and fair. As verse 9 says, to judge righteously. Strength is being able to draw conclusions, to make judgments, to enact both punishments and rewards that are right and honoring to God and one another. Those with strength use their decisions to ensure the vulnerable are treated fairly. Strength is having the ability, like verse 9, to defend the rights of the vulnerable. The strong have their human rights, the right to life, the right to be heard, the right to be treated fairly. And now with their human rights intact, those with strength use their rights to ensure the vulnerable keep their rights. Now I know none of you here are kings, but many of you certainly have influence. You likely have a voice. You may have resources or access to various kinds of wealth. You may have financial strength or emotional strength or relational strength, like a network of family and friends to fall back on, or cultural strengths like being able to read, write, and speak English. And many of you have spiritual strength. You've experienced the freedom and joy that comes from being forgiven and accepted by God and adopted into a whole new family. On the flip side, the vulnerable are, in verse 8, mute and destitute, and in verse 9, poor and needy. Those that are vulnerable aren't necessarily physically mute, as if they couldn't speak. They may be able to talk, it's just that people don't listen when they talk. They're destitute, meaning they're literally fading away or diminishing. There's a sense that they're the forgotten people in a society. Their needs often go unnoticed by the majority. They may be poor and needy. Now that can represent a sense of financial poverty, but it also can represent a lack of cognitive ability or a lack of social position. Those that are vulnerable may have their basic human rights at risk. See the second half of verse 8 and 9. Verse 8, for the rights of all who are destitute. Verse 9, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Their right to life, their ability to live and function in a just and fair environment needs to be protected. The vulnerable are threatened to be treated with injustice, to be kept from their basic human rights. Now, sometimes people who are vulnerable are vulnerable because of their own choices. This is what Proverbs 21 verse 17 says. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. But there are times when people don't have it the same because of things that have happened to them while outside of their control. A spouse dies. Parents abandon their children. Political turmoil requires an entire people to immigrate and become refugees. Or, like in Proverbs 13, 23, the fallow ground of the poor would yield much fruit, food, but it is swept away through injustice. People may be vulnerable because of things that are actually far outside of their control. For one reason or another, there are those with, who have strength and there are those who are vulnerable. So which one are you? Are you a person with strength? Are you one that is vulnerable? For some of you, maybe that answer is pretty easy and clear. For others, it may be much more complicated. More than likely, 
many of us fluctuate between having strength and being vulnerable. Let me illustrate this with a story. My grandma, who we call Amachi, was knit together in her mother's womb in 1930. Just like every other human, Amichi was vulnerable as an unborn human and as a newly born infant. She didn't have a voice and was entirely dependent on someone else to advocate for her life. Her mom died when she was an infant, and though her dad never remarried, she grew up with her basic needs like food, clothing, and shelter, and essential needs like safety, love, and instruction. She grew up quickly, though, taking on all the family chores inside and outside the house. It was labor-intensive work, but her growth and stature and ability gave her a strength to influence. Though only educated to middle school, Amichi could read, write, and think, respond, and act. All types of influence that carry with it strength. Certainly, everyone's trajectory isn't the same from infant to adolescence. There are some that continue to stay vulnerable for one reason or another. Perhaps they grow up in abject financial poverty or they have limitations in development. Maybe that's cognitive or physical or social. Some move into a vulnerable position because of the choices that they make and others become vulnerable because of choices other people make. Now, God, now fast forward 20 years. Amichi is in her mid-30s, and she leaves everything she knows behind to immigrate with her husband and middle school-aged daughter to a small rural town called Orion, Illinois. She doesn't know English, she's never worked outside the house, and is somehow now trying to acclimate to cold weather, change social patterns with no social or relational network to fall back on. She is vulnerable. She needs people to advocate for her. And so, in God's providence and kindness, in this almost entirely Caucasian town, a neighbor named Leela enters her life. Leela noticed my grandparents, and instead of being skeptical, she moved towards them. She got to know them and found ways to serve them. She brought over meals and showed them the ropes of how to get around. Leela introduced my grandma to her friends. See, Leela had strength. No, she, she wasn't rich. She was not famous. She did not hold some lofty position in her community. But she had her basic human rights. She could speak English. She had a strong social network and had one essential element, love. She used her strength to care for the vulnerable. After a few years, my grandparents and my mom moved from rural Illinois to the city of Chicago. My grandpa, who we call Apachin, got a job, and Amichi, for the first time in her life, worked outside the home in a factory. She learned her work and began building a network of friends at work and in her neighborhood. Though things were tight financially, their hearts were abundant in love and service and concern. They used their strength to care for many vulnerable people, especially many who had immigrated just like them. Eventually, Amichi retired and she moved to Kenosha to help take care of the grandkids, myself being the best of them. She used her strength and her life experience, her wisdom, her practical good of cooking and cleaning and organizing and coordinating to pour into us. She used her vibrant relationship with God built over, at that point, six or seven decades to both model and call us 
to a life of faithfulness to God, she was pouring into vulnerable kids a type of strength that you cannot buy. But as Amichi entered her eighth decade, she started to slow down. She needed some help around the house. She didn't, she didn't like asking for it, but she couldn't stand in the kitchen all day anymore. Her energy and abilities and memory began to fade. She needed others to look out for her, to ensure that she'd eaten, to ensure that her basic human rights were met. She was moving from strength to vulnerability. And in God's time, she died at the age of 89, fully dependent on others for her basic and essential needs, especially in the last few weeks of her life. I tell you this story to illustrate what strength and vulnerability often looks like. Many people in the world, most of us will follow this story, move from vulnerability when we're infants to some strength as we grow, back to vulnerability as we age and we pass from this life to the next And in between those big shifts, we all have these moments or seasons or extended periods where we're moving, again, back and forth between strength and vulnerability. Strength can often look so normal, so mundane, and vulnerability often can be right next door to us. This passage calls for those with strength to care for the vulnerable. Now on to the second question, number two, why did God put this here? Why does God include a proverb that calls the strong to care for the vulnerable? Well, the obvious answer is that God cares about the vulnerable, but there's more. God has a special place in his heart for the vulnerable. He cares about the person on the fringe, the one that is being mistreated, unfairly ruled against and prevented from growing. Proverbs 22 actually says that he pleads the cause of the poor. When God could choose any nation to make his own people, he didn't choose some powerhouse nation of the world. He chose a tiny ragtag group of people that happened to be slaves. As God helps this tiny formerly enslaved nation develop their own way of life, he especially commands them to look out for four groups of people, widows, orphans, the poor, and the stranger or the alien that lived among them, often immigrants from other countries that had come into their place. Over and over in the Old Testament, God says something like this. This is Deuteronomy 24, 17. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment in pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. In God's command to his people to care for the vulnerable, he reminds them that he cared for them when they were vulnerable. He cares so much for the vulnerable that he often reprimands his people for the way that they treat the vulnerable. Now, some of you are familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities in the book of Genesis that were destroyed because of their sinfulness. The book of Ezekiel, which came a long time after Genesis, shed some light on why these two cities were destroyed. This is what Ezekiel 16, 49 says. Behold, this was the guilt of Sodom, She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. One of the big reasons God's judgment came over Sodom was because they had plenty but didn't care about the vulnerable. 
God's care for the vulnerable now extends not just into the Old Testament, but well into the New Testament. We see Jesus over and over again going towards the vulnerable. He serves the widow. He loves the Roman centurion who was an enemy at the time. He eats with the socially marginalized. Jesus modeled a light that showed real compassion to the vulnerable. And in the church that sprang up after Jesus, this priority to the vulnerable continued. An entire office called deacons were established to ensure the vulnerable in the church were taken care of. One of the key instructions given to Paul, a missionary, as he was planting churches, was that he remembered to care for the poor. Throughout the Bible, we see that God wants those with strength to care for the vulnerable because he himself cares. But God put this passage here not just because he cares for the vulnerable, but because he cares for those who have strength as well. See, God's economy is paradoxical. Giving is more satisfying than keeping, and often the weak have much to offer those who are strong. God's design is that people receive joy when they give things away. It's why Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. When those with strength use their strength to care for the vulnerable, they align themselves in God's ways, experiencing a type of joy that is profound. God's designed it for the weak to offer good to the strong. Now those with strength may have strength in one or two areas. Maybe it's financial or physical or spiritual, but that doesn't mean they have strength in every single area. Recently, one of the world's billionaires passed away. As I read his obituary, the obvious thing stuck out. He was driven, he wanted to win, and he was successful. So successful that he accumulated over a billion dollars in his lifetime. But he was married two times, had several partners during and after those marriages, had contentious relationships with his two kids and basically all of his relatives. He spent a large chunk of his life, energy, and resources in court facing lawsuits from his very own family. This man was certainly financially rich, but he seemed to be relationally and spiritually poor. In this passage, God calls those with strength to care for the vulnerable because he cares about both the vulnerable and those with strength. And ultimately, all this care between those who are vulnerable and those who are strong honors God. It's what Proverbs 14.31 says, whoever is kind to the needy honors God. This passage is serious that people know how to honor God. And the effect of honoring God, this kind of care, is a society that flourishes. Now, you and I both know, though, that this is not how the world operates often. Those with strength often use their strength to preserve their own. The strong often want to defend their own rights, not the rights of others. The strong open their mouth to voice their own concerns, not not the needs of others. Those with strength want to ensure that they are treated fairly, with little regard for those who are vulnerable. And sometimes, even those who are vulnerable do not want help. Instead of God being honored, our world is often like Proverbs 17, 5. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. So now what? Number three, how do we respond? Now that we see that God calls those with strength to care for the vulnerable, how do we respond? Let's consider just very, two very simple steps. Remember, and practice. Remember and practice. There are two things that 
are true of every single human being in all of history. We are all made in the image of God and we are all spiritually vulnerable. Genesis 1 says that God made all people in his image. Proverbs 22 picks that same theme up when it says this in verse 2. The rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Because every human is made in God's image, every person has value, worth, status, and dignity before God and should have those very same things among one another. Every person has inherent human rights, regardless of ethnicity, class, ability, gender, or age. These rights are rights, not because someone has earned them, but because God has given them to us. And every person is spiritually vulnerable. Because of our own doing, we all have one spiritual heritage and destiny to be separated from God. But Jesus is the king who opened his mouth. He judged righteously and defended the rights of the vulnerable. To do all these things, Jesus himself became poor so that through his poverty, his church could be spiritually rich. Jesus allows God to judge righteously by trading places with us. When he died on the cross, Jesus experienced the consequences of our sin so that we could experience the wonderful joy of his righteousness. He was using his strength to care for the vulnerable. This is what God has done for the church. Many of you know what it feels like to be lifted out of your spiritual vulnerability by Jesus through his death and resurrection. Remember it over and over again. Allow it to fill your heart with gratitude and joy. Gratitude and joy to God for what he's done. Gratitude and joy that leads you to love and care for the people around you, especially the vulnerable. And it's not just spiritual freedom that God gives us. Everything that we have is from God. Any strength that we have is ultimately from him. Think about it. None of us did a thing to be born into the family that we were born into, to be born into the country that we were born in, to be born in the time of history that we were born in. But all those factors, our family, the country that we were born in, the, the, uh, the time in history that we were born, impact our opportunities, impact the kinds of strengths that we can have a reflection of all that God has given us, both spiritually and in every other way, should lead us again to abundant gratitude. And it's a, and it's a grateful heart like this that produces the best, the most sustainable way to use our strength to care for the vulnerable. See, a sense of obligation or guilt will only get a person a certain way. But gratitude for what God has personally done for us, understanding the grace of God and Jesus Christ on our behalf, will propel us to sustainable, long-lasting care for the vulnerable. And it's out of these hearts of joy that we turn to number two, practicing proximate care. Practice proximate care. We remember and then we practice. Proximate care is recognizing that doing something is better than doing nothing. And the best place to start is right around you. You don't have to go change the world. You don't have to start some multinational nonprofit. 
Who knows? Maybe God might call one or two or a few of you to do those kinds of things. But for many of us, just start where you're at. Pray and ask God to help you know the people around you who may be vulnerable. Interact with people who are different than you. The stranger, maybe they're a different ethnicity. Maybe they're, different, they're from a different social economic class. Listen to them. Hear what they sense their needs are. Listening is a huge way to care. Often we want to skip this step and go right to doing something. To be a voice for the vulnerable, we've got to listen. We've got to know what they need. Now we've been warned throughout the book of Proverbs, a few times even that we preached on, to be mindful about our mouth. We've got to watch the way we talk. And in fact, we should be careful about sharing our own opinion. But here we're told it's wise to open your mouth. Open it wide. Open it loud. But not for yourself. It's open your mouth for those who are needy, for those who are mute, who do not have a voice, for those who are down and out. And it's not just your mouth. It's our ability to seek justice. We've got to be fair with the people we're dealing with. Now, you may be thinking, you're not a judge. How in the world do you ensure everyone's getting fair rights? But we all have relationships. Relationships in our neighborhood, relationships at work, relationships in our school, relationships in our community at large. Think about your life. Consider if you're treating the people right around you fairly. As a church, we've made efforts to engage in proximate care. Now, we've all been a part of that, many of us. For example, CareNet is a local crisis pregnancy center that we support in a variety of ways. They provide a voice and real advocacy for those in crisis pregnancies. We want to speak for the unborn. Over the last 10 years, we've made efforts to invest in the Wilson neighborhood. Wilson is an especially vulnerable part of our town, one of the most under-resourced elementary schools. Many of you have served as tutors and helpers among students at Wilson Elementary. And now, a gospel community led by Justin and Catherine Denny have sprung up with a heart that maybe, perhaps, one day, God would plant a church in that neighborhood. Since the start of Crossway, we've linked up with mission partners all across the globe, all of them preaching the gospel, many of them planting churches, some of them training up pastors, but also every single one of them looking to care for the vulnerable around them. For example, when COVID hit back in March, there was an effect on everyone in the world, but especially on those who are most vulnerable. Because of your consistent faithfulness and support and giving, we've redirected financial resources so that, for example, our mission partners in the Philippines, the Campus, could provide rice to people in their own community. And our mission partners in Albania, which is one of the poorest European countries, the Barretts could provide a food bank for people right there in their very own place. These are just a few things that we're doing as a church. It's not exhaustive. We know there's so much more to do collectively, and there's so much more just in our very own lives that we could be a part of. Ask God to open your eyes to see the vulnerability around you. Ask God to give you opportunities to use your strength to care for the vulnerable. Look, in our day and time, a topic like this is contentious. Barriers and objections and concerns rise up left and right. How do we care for the vulnerable without losing the primary call of the gospel? The world is full of so many needs. How is what we're going to do ever going to make a difference? Or there's an issue even trying to figure out who is vulnerable and how exactly to care for them. Now look, 
it's easy to get caught up with semantics or hyper-polarization or to too quickly assume some sort of political position. But we're not linguists or pundits or sociologists or politicians first. We are Christians. And as Christians, our first filter is a biblical one. So when we look at people, we see people. We don't see opinions or categories or something else first. We see humans made in the image of God. And then we look at our lives and we recognize that everything that we have is from God. And we remember that God has given us Jesus Christ himself. And so we move towards a person that's different than us. We move towards a person who might be a stranger. And we love that person with deep, compassionate care because we've so been filled by grace from our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a longing deep in our hearts for a world where everything would be right, where everyone would be treated fairly, where all people would honor God and follow his way. God promises when these lo- that there will be a day when these longings are fulfilled, when Jesus comes back again. He will enact a new and forever world where there will be flourishing in every way. And until then, let's be people who use our strengths to care for the vulnerable. Let's be people who, like Jesus, look to serve and not be served. Let's be people who, like Jesus, seek out the vulnerable and not just the strong. Let's be people who, like Jesus, humbles humbles ourselves and serves the most vulnerable around us. Let's be people who, like Jesus, advocates for the vulnerable before the Father. Let's be people who, like Jesus, gave up our give up our strengths so the vulnerable will be lifted. Would you all pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, this is a call from your word that we are unable to do on our own strength. Lord, we need your strength. We need your vision. We need your help. And so this morning, God, each of us, some of us may be in a position of strength, others of us perhaps vulnerable. We come to you as the one source of good, as the one source of help, as the one source of direction that we need for our life. And we ask you, please, Father, be merciful to us. Give us help. Enter into us. Empower us through your Holy Spirit to move into this world as your advocates on behalf of those who are vulnerable. Please, God, Empower us through your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.